The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. This series was recorded in lockdown, so please forgive our audio quality while we didn't have access to a studio. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linya Patel. In today's episode, we'll be getting a dietitian's perspective on how to manage a tube-fed blended diet caseload. For the episode, I'm delighted to have an expert in the field, Catherine Fogarty, a pediatric dietitian. Welcome to the podcast, Kath. Oh, Linnea, thanks so much for having me and, and a thanks to Nestle Health Science for inviting me. I'm really excited to be part of this podcast series. So nice to have you on the podcast, Kath. Um, Thank you. And to begin with, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about you? So what made you want to become a dietitian in the first place? Okay, so I was actually a chef before wow. I became a dietitian. So you probably could say I'm a little bit food obsessed, um, but hopefully in a good way. Um, <laughs> I've always been fascinated by by nutrition and the impact it has on, on health. And I suppose I wanted to combine that with maybe helping people in terms of their diet. Um, so that's kind of where it, it, it came from. Um, I knew I didn't Fantastic. want to be a chef forever. And yeah, just a, a real interest in nutrition. Okay, so chef, then dietitian, and then what was what's been your experience being in dietetics? Sure. So, so I've been a dietitian for more than fifteen years now. Um, started off with all the sort of adult, typical adult dietetics, but moved into enteral feeding within adults uh, quite quickly. Um, and was that because of interest, or just your job was rotational? A little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. It was rotational, and I'd, I'd, you know, I just had expressed an interest in it um so so the opportunity came up and I I did lots of adult enteral feeding um and loved it I've I've always loved enteral feeding um and then my first pediatric job was sort of part enteral feeding again uh so that that was lovely and then it's just sort of progressed from there really so I've worked in in sort of mostly complex needs not necessarily all enteral feeding um but that's been my sort of area um I've been a pediatric dietitian for maybe 10 or 12 years now okay so, so that's what you're doing now so yeah, you're a so pediatric dietitian okay exactly exactly and what does that look like day to day in terms of pediatric nutrition oh linear it's very busy so um so i i work full time i've got a, a very busy caseload in the area i work in north london um i've got about 100 children on my caseload all of whom are, are tube fed wow so, it's um yeah it's it's hectic it takes up a, a huge amount of my time I also um, look after the enteral feeding supplies and manage the budget for that. So, so it's a it's a big job. Um, it requires a lot of of time and energy. But I, I no, I can I can it. only imagine. I can only imagine. Now, this episode particularly is about managing a blended diet caseload. So you've said that you've got was it a hundred? Yes. A hundred um, children yep. under your care. So uh-huh. if you give me an approximate breakdown of how many of those would be on a blended diet, what does it look like? Sure. So so as it sits at the moment, I've got about 15% of my caseload on not all full blended diets. Most of those would be on what we call a partial blended diet. So they have some blended diet and continue to have some commercial feeds alongside that. Um 
probably about five are on a full blended diet where they have no commercial feeds. Um, so that's what it looks like for my caseload at the moment. Okay, very interesting. And, and has that changed or evolved over time? Yeah, yeah, it, it has changed. Um, definitely two or three years ago, I think it was sitting around 10%. So there's, there has been an increase in the last few years. Not quite sure what I would put that down to. Um, possibly the move from the British Dietetic Association and its policy statement, which came out in November 2019, um, and that was a bit of a game changer with blended diet, I think. And tell me um, a little bit more about that move. So what, sure. what did the policy say and how did practice change? Sure. So, so up to that point, Linnea, as dietitians, we weren't really encouraged to recommend blended diet to our families. In fact, we were, we were advised not to. Um, but when the new policy statement came out, it was a real um, clear line on dietitians being allowed to recommend blended diet if it was seen as beneficial for a child. Um, so that, that was a, a complete change really in the, in the sort of tone of what had been said up to then. Yeah, so perhaps dietitians were more confident about recommending them, yeah. Most definitely, and so, yeah. And so do you think that that increase that you've seen within blended diets is probably the same around the UK as well? Possibly. Um, I, I've been listening to lots of webinars over the, the during the pandemic because we've been a bit inundated, most of which have been fantastic. And there's actually been a few blended diet webinars which have been really fascinating to listen to. And there was a couple of dietitians on there from, from up the country somewhere who had said their caseload was around 10%. So I think they're very similar numbers across the UK, actually. Okay. Okay, so if you if your caseload has increased slightly over the years, how has that kind of changed how you're managing your time or how your time is kind of split up? Um, I think the with blended diet, there is always an initial outlay of time. So so certainly those early stages of blended diet is time consuming, no doubt. But once blended diet is established. I find that actually those children tend to be easier to manage dietetically, often due to their, their symptoms being better managed. So when I say symptoms, mostly gastrointestinal symptoms, so things like reflux and uh, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, discomfort that can be associated with some of the commercial feeds they're on. Um, so yeah, there's definitely an impact in the early stages of blended diet on time. And that's particularly in terms of dietetic input. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, work I will do with my families before we even start blended diet. Um, and Tell me more about that. Tell me yeah, more about sure. That. Uh, so, so, I mean, when, when blended diet is initiated, it's either because a parent has come to me to ask um, my, my opinion on it, or I may have suggested to them that it might be something worth trying to, to help manage some of their, their symptoms. Um, so initially, we have a risk assessment that I will go through with parents. And that's basically looking at things like the size of their feeding tube. And is it an appropriate size for, for giving blended diet? It will also cover a little bit around food hygiene, food storage, um, and 
looking at their reasoning if if they've come to me or you know I, i've suggested it we we look at the reasoning for for initiating blended diet um i personally you know i make sure that i have to document all of that um so so we go through the risk assessment i will also cover a little bit about tube blockages um and infections that are sometimes associated with blended diet but actually from my experience happens very infrequently um so so that's the risk assessment side um and i provide parents with a copy of that for them to read and then we we have a discussion afterwards about that um then there will be things like I'm trying to find out what happens within the home. You know, do do parents cook? You know, do they have an understanding of what a healthy, balanced diet is? You know, all those key factors that are needed and to be in place really for what for starting blended diet. And I will go through with them the the time involved because you know it's time consuming for parents. It's a little bit time consuming for me, but it's really time consuming for parents moving from you know. Mo- you know, making foods from scratch, uh, preparing them, blending them, freezing them, you know, all the, the, the processes involved. Um, so, yeah, just, just being open and honest with them about what's involved up front before we even get started with it. Yeah, and it sounds like um, parents and carers are very involved then in the whole process. For, for me, I think it's so important that it's a joint working process because they they need to be on board from the very beginning and and know what's what's coming. Um, you know, so and and then I think it just works much better. It's like a, a mutual agreement that we have at the beginning, and you know, it just I, I and then it evolves over time for that particular child. Yeah, and does the parent and carers? Um time or involvement impact your management of time and your caseload at all? Uh, Yeah, again, I would say probably in those early stages. um, I've been thinking about this and how it impacts my time. Part of me thinks that, you know, the, the way we work now and the pandemic has been part of that, you know, our communication methods are, are so much better now. You know, we can email, we can text, you know, we can, you know, we can share photographs and it's, it's we just have such better ways of communicating. You know, and for me, communicating with my families is is superior to what it used to be 10 years ago. Um, so, so, you know, I will ask parents, you know, when we start blended diet to email me, to email uh, email me any concerns if they want to email me any sort of recipes or what they've got started with. And I'll say I'll reply when I can. You know, there's no urgency for me to reply unless I'm worried about something. Um, so I will usually set aside a Friday. That's often my office day and I catch up with the emails and, and everything else I need to do. Um, so, yeah, so it's it. I, I manage it that way, um, and up to now, it's always felt reasonably manageable. Um, I sometimes find that, you know, just my enteral feeding caseload in general, aside from the blended diet, is is can be, you know, quite intense sometimes. You know, I have lots of children who are on sometimes a couple of different commercial feeds. They might also be on a modular supplement. You know, I'm concentrating feeds up. I'm concentrating feeds down. How are you managing all of that, Kath? How do you stay on top of it? Um, You know, I, I, I can't, I 
think of myself as a very sort of organized person. I need to be, um, you know, I keep an electronic and paper diary. I, I plan ahead. I'm always looking at my schedule, you know, for the next four weeks and what that looks like and where the gaps are. So, you know, if it's something like a blended diet, I, I need, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a discussion with a parent with, you know, I'll, I'll plan ahead and put that in my diary for, you know, the, the sort of quieter periods. Um, it sounds super busy, but I do have lulls in my my caseload periods where, you know, we maybe don't get as many new referrals as the previous week or month. Um, so there are gaps to fill in that time. Um, so I do find it, it manageable. Um, and my parents are very understanding. You know, they 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 know when I don't come back to them, it's just because I'm busy. And I do let them know that, you know, I'll, I'll reply when I can. Um, and like I say, I, pr- I prioritise. So the urgent stuff has to come first. Okay. And how do you prioritise the urgent stuff? So what would you say would be the, the urgent stuff that then gets top priority? Urgent stuff is, is you know, when I've got a really anxious parent and a child is unwell and we need to dilute an enteral feed possibly or, you know, maybe consider them having to go to hospital. So those, those stuff are the, the urgent stuff or, or worried about a mum's phones up and she's just really anxious about her child's growth faltering or you know uh so so yeah that's that's the urgent stuff or having to order supplies last minute on our uh enteral feeding supply system so maybe needing to get a gastrostomy button out as an emergency or those are the urgent stuff so they will always take priority over you know talking about moving up another 20 mils of blended diet or developing some that, recipes or something ex- like that well yeah that that too so yeah that although that's definitely a passion of mine I would love to be able to develop a little recipe book oh fantastic Just, tell me more about that because one of my <laughs> questions actually I was going to ask is um for example in your in the time when it's a little bit quieter uh-huh. what are you doing then is it that you're planning ahead um because it sounds like you have to be super organized or actually using that time to do a little bit of development of something like recipes sure yeah so so in a way I I wish Lydia I um I just have so much else going on within my job so at the moment the big um pressure on me is to um rewrite our enteral feeding guidelines um so so that 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 so I will always have other work commitments that are just a priority over something like a recipe book. I think my manager might not be fully supportive of me dedicating um, a few days or something over a couple of months to, to, to doing a recipe book. So I think if I wanted to do it, I'd probably have to do it in my own time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a handy resource, I think, for dietitians working in, in entering nutrition to have somewhere to go um, where they could find... Um, or parents could get some inspiration about some really good recipes. Completely, you know, and 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 parents ask me, you know, they they say, Kath, what you know, what should we give? But I will always go back to them and try and empower them basically to because to, they're the ones who are, are doing this, you know, day in, day out. So I I work with my families to what foods they eat what they cook as a family and I will recommend recipes based on 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 their normal family foods um you know that's basically what it's about um so I try not to to overthink it but yeah 
Linnea, it would be lovely to have a little recipe book to give them, which was, um, you know, specific for blends that gave, you know, the, the quantities needed uh, with the dilution that was needed for a, a, a sort of fairly accurate consistency um, and as well for, for various age ranges. So, you know, it, it actually, I, I've thought about it. It's, it's a fair amount of work, even for maybe, you know, 10 recipes and a few snack recipes. Um, but it, it is something I, I'd at some point in the future love to do. When, when I do, when I've got that magic wand, Linnea, and I've got a spare day a week. Yeah. It'll, it'll be, uh, it'll be on my list. Well, I've got two questions. The first is I'm assuming because at the moment you, you've got um, so much on your caseload and you don't have time to do the recipe development. You must have a bank already within the trust that you're working in, in terms of recipes that you use. So, I mean, I just use basic recipes that are, are quite typical. So, I mean, and when I say recipes, that's me jumping 10 steps in blended diet. When I start or, you know, support families in initiating blended diet, it's very much around what we do when we're weaning infants. So regardless of the age of the child, I will always encourage parents to start with one or two foods. Um, and actually, we're not replacing any commercial feeds in those early stages. And in fact, I will often say to parents that I would continue to encourage the use of commercial feeds alongside blended diet because it's a huge jump to go from full commercial feeds to full blended diet. And, you know, some parents just never get there and and, and I don't expect them to. Um, I don't never would put that pressure on them either. You know, I've got a few families that come to me at the beginning, say, absolutely, we want to go full blended diet. And, and I support them. But I say it's going to take time. Um, but most of my families are, are quite accepting of, you know, just introducing small amounts of blended diet to see whether symptoms improve. Um, so I will pick one or two foods and we go from there. If we were to move to recipes, it's things like spaghetti bolognese. It's things like just good, healthy, wholesome, balanced foods. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm we sure would do. I'm sure you've got some stories of some in, unusual ingredients being added um, <laughs> to blended diets. Do you want to share one or two of those? Yeah, I mean, the, there's always some superfood being okay. bandied about, isn't there? So the chia seeds and the coconut oil. And okay. the, you know, there's lots of that type of thing that, that parents um, will discuss. And, and certainly on the uh, social media forums, oh, there's, I can there's imagine discussion that uh, back and forth about those a lot of which is really helpful I must say but you know I, I will say to parents you know that all our food is super you know not not any one food on its own is a super food so it sounds like solid advice. right combination yeah. of it all exactly. exactly exactly then the other question I wanted to ask was you talked about um developing some policies you talked about an entry nutrition policy so within that Will there be something about managing caseloads? Because it sounds like, for example, if there was a new dietitian starting off in the community, um, some kind of guidance around how to manage um, an enteral nutrition caseload with some blended diet um, kind of patients in there as well would be really useful. Yeah, so our enteral feeding policy is very specifically just for the management of enteral feeding. So it doesn't so doesn't discuss caseloads. Um, unfortunately, it's just for our, our sort of local dietitian teams and our nurses working with enteral feeding and just, you know, how to manage tubes and, and uh, troubleshooting and 
all the particulars involved in enteral feeding. It does mention there is a section in there about blended diet, and it's it's you know, and we reference the the BDA policy statement that came out a couple of years ago, um, but it doesn't talk about safe uh, about caseloads. However. Caseloads is something I will discuss monthly with my manager, and we're always reviewing my caseload. Uh, and that's my, my total caseload, um, you know, and, and looking at it from a, a sort of safety and, and management, you know, perspective, because, um, you know, the, the caseloads are, are sort of slowly increasing. Um, when I first started in this job about six years ago, my caseload was probably sitting at about 70 or 75. So it's 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 slowly increasing. Um, and but there's no information uh, across the UK really on safe caseloads in pediatrics, um, in pediatric enteral feeding. Uh, there's a little bit in NICE uh, about enteral feeding in adults, I believe, um, but there's no information on safe caseloads. Okay. I think that's a really good um, good advice about needing to review it um, regularly. Um, to kind of manage it. Yeah. Yeah, this is it, and just seeing what it looks like. And with um, obviously with the pandemic and now having to do a few more virtual dietetic reviews, for example, has that helped because you don't necessarily need to be physically somewhere? Has that helped your caseload? Yeah, so it's been a godsend, uh, virtual working, and it's uh, really it's probably made us work more. It feels like it. You know, I, I collect my stats every month of, of how many contacts I have. Um, and my contacts have definitely increased this past year. And I think that's because of virtual working. Um, so I will do on average, you know, maybe five uh, video consultations a week, whereas previously I was doing none. So oh, it means wow. I'm doing, yeah, it means I'm doing less home visits, which is good. Um, but I don't think you can take away from that face-to-face contact with families, whether that's, you know, home visits, clinics, whatever situation it is. Um, you know, I do lots of sort of feeding observations and, you know, in terms of blended diet, it's really nice to, to actually see consistencies of foods and, and what parents are giving. So that face-to-face contact that we have uh, is still really vital especially for new referrals and and supporting families um but yeah the virtual consultations the video consultations have been been a revelation really and and i think have are here to stay yeah i was gonna ask that is that going to change the way you're working moving forward perhaps yeah I i think it will i think and even just you know again the nature of my caseload you know there are lots of health professionals involved we have lots of MDT meetings, we've got things called team around the child meetings, various professionals meetings, plus with families. And the fact that we can do those now on a in a virtual sort of platform is just amazing because, you know, there was the travel time, there was the sometimes delays or meetings getting cancelled at the last minute. Now that's that's not a as much of a problem because you you've not wasted time going somewhere or, you know, it's just it's just made our working environment an easier um, situation. So, yeah, I think it's worked really nicely, actually. Yeah, that's good. Um, So it sounds like you have managed to overcome some of the challenges um, in terms of dealing with a busy caseload already just by altering the way that you're working. What other challenges do you tend to face um, when dealing with your caseload? Um, I suppose some of the challenges with, with my particular caseload, because I work, you know, 
my caseload is about 30% um, neurological impairment. Um, and uh, another 30% of my caseload, I'm actively trying to wean. So those areas uh, are very involved and can be a bit challenging. So, so just thinking about that sort of neurodisability caseload, um, they've often got... Um, quite sort of significant feeding difficulties and, and that can be a real challenge um, managing feeding difficulties. And how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you overcome Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's, you know, I've done everything I can as a dietitian. I've tried, you know, numerous, um, you know, feeds. We've got a sort of, you know, stepwise of feeds that I will, will try, um, you know, pump feeding, reducing rates, bolus feeding, you know, all, you know, continuous feeding. So, so I will try as best I can. Um, you know, if blended diet is appropriate, that might be something that we would discuss. It isn't always appropriate for some of my children um, because they're just not medically stable. Um, so I'll go back to our pediatrician, to our speech and language therapist, and we'll, we'll discuss, you know, what next. And sometimes it's a referral back to the surgical team to think about different options for feeding. Um, you know, they, they, they might need a different type of tube that, that's past their stomach. They might need something like a Nissen's fund application to help with things like reflux so you know there are uh, uh, other things we can think about that isn't just related to the feed because often it's not the feed um, that's causing the problems you know the, these children are are you know they're, they're complex we know that the the you know what happens in the brain affects the gut it's because of the gut brain axis and you know the these children have very severe feeding complications because of that mm. um so it's so, sometimes not just as simple as as the feed oh, really interesting and you also manage 30 percent of your caseload is weaning so tell me yes. a little bit more about that yes so that's that's the really fascinating bit but it's hugely time consuming so these will be children who've maybe either gone um had treatment for on oncology or cardiac children um, and they've needed a tube when when they were much younger but now we're trying to tube wean them because they no longer need it but they may have become what we call a bit tube dependent so so it's um and they they may have become a bit um food aversive so those two things in combination just make it difficult for them to move on with eating orally um, so they're the group of kids who have a safe swallow but they just don't want to eat. So, okay. so it's it's a lot of. Um, well, then how do you how do you overcome that? How do you then try and get them moving forward? In, interestingly, I, I have a success story, um, and actually, his little boy who who was fully tube fed um, because of his early history, um, but had a safe swallow, and I inherited him when parents had started a blended diet, um, and I was handed over his case from a feeding team. Um, so uh, I wasn't particularly happy about the blended diet that he was having because it wasn't nutritionally adequate and his growth was a concern. So um, although parents had tried various commercial feeds, um, they, they, they really weren't keen on, on reintroducing a commercial feed, but I managed to persuade them to introduce a commercial feed alongside the blended diet. So we sort of did 50-50. Um, and over time, his, his growth improved and he improved. He was much happier and healthier. Um, and then he started to slowly taste 
have little tastes with lots of support from me and the speech and language therapist, um, have little tastes of his blended food that he was eating. And slowly, slowly he transitioned to eating Amazing. the food that mum was blending and putting through the tube. So I look back at him and think he was a really good example of blended diet and being able to tube wean because I think it was a big factor in, in moving him on. Uh, but generally linear um, for our for our really aversive kids, it's it's a lot of sensory work. It's a lot. How long? Of, um, How long can that last? Ooh, it can last, you know, six months plus. It can last years. You know, we've got. I've got a few children on my caseload who, you know, we're, we're just still not there and they're three, four, five years of age. So um, it, it can be really, it can be really complex. Um, and it's sometimes not as straightforward as just the child having a food aversion. It might be the social environment or, you know, the school environment or, you know, just a number of things that's that's complicating the situation. So there's lots to unpick sometimes and, oh, and, try, and imagine. Uh, try and work forward. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Um, well, I could just keep chatting and chatting, Catherine, um, but I think we must start wrapping things up. Um, at the end of each podcast, I ask guests to leave a key message. So the title of this episode is Managing a Tube-Fed Blender Diet Caseload from a Dietitian's Perspective. Sure thing. So what top tips do you have on managing blender diet caseload that you want to leave our listeners? Okay, so I would say... Don't be scared. Think of it as starting weaning, you know, and all us pediatric dietitians have done our fair share of weaning infants. So, you know, we know exactly what we're talking about. And that's what I start with with uh, blended diet. So, you know, uh, we've got a little blended diet booklet that we give to parents and that sort of talks through all the practicalities of giving blended diet, um, you know, just those basic foods that we start with, maybe a sweet potato or an avocado, something that blends really, really nicely um, and is easy to dilute and is usually very well tolerated. So they're the main things I would say. If if you're unsure, I would speak to dietetic colleagues or you know or you know, dietitians within your area uh, in enteral feeding because they'll probably have some experience on on blended diet. Um, so you know that's something I will often do. You know I work with a really lovely pediatric team and you know we will often have peer supervision mm-hmm. and discuss cases and you know just try and find what the best fit for that particular child is because all our children are different. They've all got their own, you know, Mm. needs. And and it's just thinking about getting help from others. Something else I would recommend is being part of a uh, fantastic group called DISC. So DISC stands for Dietitians Interested in Special Children. And it's a a UK-wide group. I think we also have some members from Ireland. Um, But DISC has been really pivotal to me in building my confidence with um, initiating blended diet and supporting families on blended diet. So it's a group we meet every six months. And uh, and for, for as long as I can remember, blended diet has been on the agenda. And mm. it's just a really nice open forum, a supportive forum of pediatric dietitians working in complex needs and supporting each other. Uh, so that's been a really big help. So I think, yeah, reaching out, um, asking for, you know, advice from dietetic colleagues. Actually, 
as dietitians, I think we owe it to our families to support them. You know, we have a duty of care to support them in their child's best nutrition. And that sometimes might include blended diet. So, so you know, just try and do as much research as you can and join DISC. Um, I'm also a member of the Facebook Blended Diet group because yeah. they can give some really useful tips and advice. Um, and it's it's really helpful seeing some of the challenges that parents face, but also some of the um, suggestions and tips that they give. And that's, you know, always been really useful for me as my, le- you know, part of my learning. So, yeah, I think they're, they're the main things Brilliant. that I would take tips. away from it. And in terms of managing caseload, because at the beginning we talked very much about how there's an increase in caseload. So what would, would, what would your top tips be in terms of managing caseload? The, the, the way I find I manage my blended diet caseload best is by starting very slowly. Like I said, linear, I think I never go from naught to 100. I'm very clear with parents at the beginning that, you know, a full blended diet might be something they achieve, but it might not. Mm. And it might be a year or two years down the line. So I think by starting slowly, yeah. you know, 20 mils of blended diet once a day, it really is that small, even for an older child. Um, then it's more manageable. I find I'm a little bit in control and the parents are in control as they should be. Um, but I just think that, you know, as you then progress with the blended diet, it's just something easy to do. You know, as dietitians, you know, we always talk food first. Yeah. That's our, that's, that's our A motto. motto, you know, and actually it isn't much different from what we do with children mm-hmm. on an oral diet. So I think sometimes we just need to step away from that fear around blended diet um, and think of it as just food first, but go as slowly as you need to so that you build the confidence with your parents in, in being able to support them. Brilliant. And if listeners want more information or want to get in touch with you, um, do you have any information that we can share with our listeners? Now you're asking, Linnea. Now you've stumped me. <laughs> Sorry, I have stumped you. I should have told you at the beginning. Yeah, no, no, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I would be happy to um, provide them with our blended diet booklet. Um, so I have adapted our blended diet booklet with kind permission from dietetics team down in West Sussex. Um, but I'm sure we would be happy to, to share that sure. with any, any dietitians that would want it. Um, if they're a member of DISC, they can get support um, from DISC in terms mm-hmm. of blended diet. And also just to say that the BDA um, are working on a toolkit. So it's an updated toolkit for blended diet. Um, so we're hoping that comes out, if not this year, possibly next year. Brilliant. The pandemic has sort of put a um, uh, a stop to, to the progress of that, but I think it's got going again. So that BD toolkit, when it does come out, I think will be really, really helpful. Um, but yeah, I would be happy to share my, my blended diet booklet with any, any dietitians that, that wanted it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kath. It's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. You're really very welcome. It. And you, Linnea. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.